Hello and welcome to the Lancet podcast. Richard Lane with you on Wednesday, April the 16th. This week we're discussing a paper published today which has already garnered quite a lot of media attention and it concerns a very important clinical issue, that is how clinicians determine the likely outcome for people with minimal consciousness. Specifically, it's looking at neuroimaging techniques such as PET scans and functional magnetic resonance imaging. I'm delighted to be joined on the line by one of the authors from the study, Professor Stephen Lorez from University Hospital Liège in Belgium. Hello, Stephen. Hello. Many thanks for talking talking to The Lancet. I know you've been very busy dealing with media queries. Can you just cl- can you just um, briefly outline the clinical problem in a bit more detail than, than I did in the introduction? This, this is a really difficult area of clinical medicine, isn't it? Yes, I think that um, the challenge is to um, identify small signs of consciousness in patients who survive the period of coma, then awake, and move, but uh, are considered as being unconscious, uh, which we call vegetative state or unresponsive wakefulness, and to, as soon as possible, um, identify the minimal signs of consciousness, uh, which are characteristic of the minimally conscious state uh, that is quite hard to do at bedside. And I think uh, it is useful to have these new technologies, these brain scans, such as PET, an fMRI to try and measure what's going on in the brain of these patients. Indeed, and we'll turn to, to that and the results in a second, but you know, notwithstanding the, the imaging that we're about to talk about, which could be a new tool for clinicians, without imaging, what do clinicians have? What kind of tests, assessments can they do? So I think the first message of the paper is that um, we should use a... Um, adapted uh, and validated standardized behavioral scale, which in our case was the coma recovery scale before making the bedside diagnosis. So um, in uh, the absence of such a uh, scale, one can get it wrong in about a third of the patients where you think that there is uh, no sign of consciousness, that they're vegetative, and in reality, they're minimally conscious. So um, it's not just into a room and doing a classical clinical examination um, that permits you to conclude the patient is vegetative. The first message is use these adapted tools uh, and I think that the coma recovery scale um, is uh, needed before you make the diagnosis of a vegetative state of, or uh, unresponsive wakefulness. Next, of course, there is the added value of uh, going beyond and um, with these scales we're still limited at uh, looking at motor responsive motor responsiveness and making inferences about consciousness so being able to directly uh, measure brain function of course is uh, of major importance as shown in the paper and that's where pet scans really come into their own don't they because they are measuring specific areas of brain activity such as um, glucose absorption that kind of thing Yes, absolutely. So here we compare two techniques. Uh, One indeed is uh, PET imaging, where you inject radioactively labeled glucose and the brain uses a lot of energy and you can basically visualize how much energy is used in the brain. Um, The other one is functional MRI, where we ask patients to imagine uh, moving, for example, then we see if there is a response in their brain that is independent of motor activity. Uh, And the first finding is that Uh, It is easier to do PET in patients with chronic disorders of consciousness. It was only in about 
uh, well, in less than 10% that we couldn't do the PET imaging, whereas for functional MRI, um, it was in 40%, over 40% of the cases where we couldn't do the uh, MRI assessment, and that is because they move too much. So we have artifacts and we can't read the images. Now, that's, thank you. That's important, isn't it? Because whilst these results are encouraging, the, the studies... The study itself is relatively small. It's a validation study, isn't it, of these imaging techniques? The number of patients, yes, the number of patients involved, just over 100. We don't want to jump to conclusions too quickly, not least because they're only partially effective. These results. I mean, PET scans were what, 75% effective. fMRI less so. There's still margins for error there, aren't there? Well, it's it's a very difficult area, of course, where you're dealing with consciousness and trying to say meaningful things about consciousness in patients who by definition can't communicate and we don't really know what consciousness is. It's one of the biggest uh, questions in, in science. Uh, so of course as, as a medical doctor we need to make decisions uh, and I think that it is very useful to combine different tests as we did here uh, and then try to validate them and see well what happens um, if, if we try to also look at the outcome, and it turned out in the paper that not only uh, could positive tomography identify uh, signs of consciousness in about a third of the patients where at the bedtime it was impossible, it was also the case that those patients, uh, those who survived, 90% of them would subsequently recover uh, clinical signs of, of consciousness. So this is the way we try to uh, validate these new tests. Um, but as you say, of course, it's, it's still a relatively small sample, even if it's over 100 patients, where you need to break it down in terms of the etiology, which is very important. Is it a traumatic case or an anoxic case after the arrest? Um, the duration of the condition is important. So, yes, this will definitely need to be confirmed by other groups. And just a word on cost, because PET scans and fMRI you know, costs generally of technology, we like to think they're coming down, but there are, there's still cost attached to them. And, and not just cost, but accessibility, availability. Where are clinicians going to be able to use this technology? Well, it shouldn't be a barrier in terms of cost. Of course, these functional imaging tools are expensive, but um, it, it should be emphasized that the costs of uh, um, caring for these patients who can survive for decades is, is really huge and and so just doing one brain scan is nothing compared to uh to these uh economic impacts and of course there is all the um uh humane aspects of of of, of the importance of identifying as soon as possible signs of consciousness i think it's very important to as soon as possible differentiate a patient who is truly unconscious and where there is some minimal signs of consciousness because management will be very different. I think uh, the paper also should um, make clinicians systematically use, for example, painkillers, um, given the difficulty of, of correctly identifying um, truly unresponsive or vegetative state patients. So, um, yes, there is a cost, but I, I hope uh, that it, it shouldn't be an issue, even if we're working uh, on cheaper and especially portable um, tests and I think it should be the case that it's not the patient who needs to come to the expert center but that we should be able to provide uh, portable probably EEG based uh, tests where we can go 
to the rehab center, to the nursing home, uh, and that is uh, current work in progress. Yes, it's, it's a very exciting area. How soon do you, do you think, well, it, first of all, should clinical practice change now? If not now, how do you see the coming months and years for how practice could change in this field? Well, I think that our practices uh, should change. And um, the old view that there was coma and then some of these patients uh, surviving in what was the persistent vegetative state that was co considered as a homogeneous, hopeless group of people that would die anyway, um, that no longer is true. We now know that there are patients with these minimal signs of consciousness, that reality is more complicated than we initially thought it was, that it's more of uh, a progressive um, um, transition from one state to the other. Uh, so it's extremely challenging, but I don't think one can make um, medical or ethical or legal decisions which are uh, right if we're building on sand. So reducing the uncertainty uh, regarding diagnosis and prognosis, I think, is, is really uh, of, of major importance. Uh, and so I hope that the medical community will increase its efforts um, to better understand these uh, very challenging vulnerable patients with chronic disorders of conscience. I, can, I think it's, it's kind of a silent uh, epidemic. I think we've been neglecting them for uh, way too long. And uh, they do exist. They're the kind of artifacts of uh, modern intensive care. Uh, and I think just increase our efforts to better understand what's happening uh, and to uh, optimize uh, their uh, clinical management. Indeed. And a final, final thought, and I hear what you say about the, the silent epidemic. Um, just to, to, to emphasize then, your view is that this new technology, which looks very exciting and, and clearly is exciting, but, but we're, we've still got a long way to go to, to understand it more fully. This should be an additional resource to, to the way clinicians make decisions, make judgments at the moment. It doesn't replace anything. It's, it's additional, additional adding to the armamentarium, isn't it? Yes, of course. Um, uh, one could compare it to, uh, uh, indeed, the use of uh, 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 echography in cardiology. Um, it, it is a very important tool, but uh, as always in medicine, the clinical assessment uh, remains the cornerstone. And I think there also the uh, study shows that we should be using appropriate uh, behavioral skills, the coma recovery skill. Uh, that is uh, the first thing we should um, uh, have as a take-home message from this study. And then next, of course, are these functional imaging tools that I'm convinced will be uh, more uh, important in uh, future guidelines and how also we will subcategorize these different clinical entities with their different uh, differences in, in outcome and therapeutic management. Professor Stephen Lores on the line from University Hospital Liège in Belgium. Many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet. Thank you.